Section 3 of Last Call for Sector 9G by Lee Brackett. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Edith Keserich of Southern Ohio. Last Call for Sector 9G by Lee Brackett. Three. Jub. It might have been a name, a curse, or a battle cry. Whatever it was, the young couple did not like it. Their faces twisted into slim masks of hate. They raised their guns at the shadow, and the shadow laughed. Abruptly, it bunched up small and shot at them. Durham heard them yell, in pain or fright or both, and he heard their running feet, but he did not see what happened to them. He was going away himself, down the narrow alley that Varnick and Baya were no longer interested in blocking. When he reached the end of the alley, he came out into a well-lighted street with lots of people on it, but he still did not feel safe. Varnick and Baya were not far away. Baya was leaning against a wall with her mouth wide open. She was not used to running. Varnick was standing beside her, looking sulky. He scowled at Durham when he came out of the alley. Durham stopped, bracing himself and ready to yell for help. But Varnick shook his head. Yeah, he said. Baya panted. What's the matter? You afraid? Yes, said Varnick. Those two little green ones. They are not playing for fun. And that black one. He quivered all over. I'm afraid. I see you again, Baya. He went away. Baya was close on to tears, partly from her own fright, partly from sheer fury and frustration. But she did not cry. She turned and looked at Durham. What got into you? She said. It was all set and then you had to louse it up. She cursed him. It's just like you, Lloyd, to cost me a nice chunk of money. Who are those people, Baya? They didn't tell me. I didn't ask. Total strangers, eh? Turned up this afternoon at my apartment. I should think you could tell. They're not the type I run with. No. He frowned still breathing hard and wiping sweat from his face. How did they know about us? She shrugged and said maliciously, Somebody must have told them. Well, so long, Lloyd. I wish you all the luck you deserve. She walked off slowly, patting her hair into place, straightening the line of her white dress. She did not look back. Durham watched her for a second. Then he began to walk fast as he could in the opposite direction, keeping in the brightest lights. After a bit, he found a stair walk. He rode up on it through two levels, and all the while the roots of his hair were prickling, and he was darting nervous glances over his shoulder and into the air over his head. Jub, jub, jub. He envied Varnick, who could go away and forget the whole thing. It was still night when he reached the surface. The shadow did not seem to have followed him, 
But how could you tell? Even a city as brilliantly lighted as the hub always has shadowy corners by night. He kept listening for that high, flat, hooting voice. It did not speak to him, and he hailed a skycab, appalled by how little time he had left to catch the pre-dawn ferry. He made it with no minutes to spare. He found a place on the dark side and settled himself for the four-hour run, and then everything caught up to him at once, and he began to shake. He sat there in the grip of a violent reaction, living over again Hawtrey's instructions and the evening with Baya and the nightmare run through the underground streets and the coming of the shadow. The dark birds will soon fly. Was that enough for people to kill for? It might be if they had an interest in those ships, but the young couple did not look the type. And the shadow? He shivered and looked out the port. The long, thin shadow of the ship extended itself indefinitely into space, but all around it there was light, and the curve of the planet below was a blaze of gold. Down there was Hawtrey in a big part of his life. Above and ahead was the cool face of the moon, and that was the future, all unexplored. Durham clenched his cold hands together between his knees and thought, I've got to do this. Stay sober and do it. A little for Hawtrey, but mostly for myself. A man can't look at himself twice the way I did tonight. Once is all he can stand, and once ought to be enough. Brightness blurred and swam. Presently he slept, and his dreams were thronged with shadows hooting, Jub, jub, jub. Four hours later, Durham walked across the vast rotunda of the lunar spaceport, dropping his little bundle of passport and ticket as casually as he could. He continued on to the newsstand and made a pretense of looking over the half-credit microbooks, waiting. While he waited, he wondered. He wondered how the young couple had known about Baya. He wondered what the shadow was and where it came from, and why it had defended him from the young couple, and what was the meaning of the rather ridiculous word. Jub. He wondered if he wasn't crazy not to pick up his ticket to Earth and use it. He wanted to drink very badly. A uniformed attendant came and said, I think you dropped this, sir. He held out a passport with a ticket folded in it. Durham examined them, put them in his pocket, and tipped the attendant, who went away. Durham brought three microbooks and moved on. He could not see anybody watching him, and he told himself it was only nerves that made the skin creep on his back as though eyes were boring into it. The switch had been made all right on his papers. His name was now John Mills Watson, and he had a passage to Nantadeek aboard the freight liner Margareta Kay. He still wanted a drink. He was determined that he would not go and get it and he headed grimly for a stairwalk that led down to the port cab system. He had almost stepped onto it, and then from the loudspeakers all over the huge rotunda, a voice boomed out saying, Mr. Lloyd Durham, please come to the information desk. Durham flinched as though somebody had struck him. He thought, Hawtree sent word to recall me. Perhaps it was a trap. He approached the desk cautiously, while his name continued to blare forth from the loudspeakers. Somebody was standing there. A woman, 
with her back to him. He had not seen that back for over a year, not since the night of the accident, but he had not forgotten it. Hello, Susan, he said. She turned around, and he added bitterly, he needn't have sent you. He was convinced now that she had come to call him back. She seemed surprised. Who? Your father. Dad? Good heavens, Lloyd, you don't suppose he knows I'm here. She was tall, as he remembered her, and handsome, and beautifully dressed, and very self-assured. She smiled, one of those brittle things with no humor in it, and then she asked, How long have you before takeoff? Durham said slowly, Time enough. We can't talk here. No. Come on, I'll buy you a drink. They walked in silence to the crowded, noisy spaceport bar. They found a place and sat down. Durham ordered. Susan Hawtrey sat opening and closing her handbag as though the operation was of the most absorbing interest. He asked, Why did you come here? It seemed as though somebody ought to say goodbye. Who told you I was leaving? I have a friend in the travel office. She tells me if anybody I know books passage home. Convenient. Yes. The drinks came. There was a clatter of voices, speaking in a thousand tongues, laughing, crying, saying hello and goodbye until we meet again. Susan turned her glass round and round in her fingers, and Durham watched her. I'm sorry, Lloyd. Sorry everything could not have turned out better. Yes, so am I. I hope you'll have better luck back home. Thanks. Another silence in which Durham tried hard to figure her angle. He said, I heard you tried to talk your father into giving me another chance. Thanks for that. She stared at him blankly and shook her head. You know how Dad feels about you. I've never dared mention your name. A cold feeling settled in the pit of Durham's stomach. There's somebody else, Lloyd, who wanted you to have another chance. Fatherly intuition or a big, fat lie? Let's face it, Durham. Why would Hawtrey send you on a mission to the dog pound? There are ten billion people on the hub. He could have found somebody else. The whole business smells. It reeks. But wait. Suppose he sent Susan here to test me, to see if I'd talk. Not too believable, but a pleasanter belief than the alternative. Let's see. Susan, look, I can say this now because I'm going home and that's the end of it. We won't see each other anymore. I should never have gotten engaged to Willa. I didn't love her. It was you all the time. He caught the quick glint of tears in her eyes and was appalled. Tears for him? From Susan Hawtrey? That's why I went with you that night, she whispered. I thought I could take you from her. I thought I could make you be what you ought to be. Oh, damn you, Lloyd. I should never have come here. She jumped up and walked rapidly from the table. He followed her, 
with his eyes and his mouth both wide open and something very strange happening inside him. One thing sure, she was no plant. Susan, don't you have to get aboard or something? Yes, but, Susan, ride down with me. I want to talk to you. There's nothing to talk about. But she went to the stairwalk with him and rode down. Her face turned away, her head held high so she seemed to tower over him. Susan, he said, Do you think, could you give me... No, that's not the gambit. But what do you say? Susan, I'm a changed man. Susan, wait for me. The stairwalk slid them gently off onto a very long platform. There was a crowd on it, sorting itself into the endless lines of purple monorail taxis that moved along both sides. Susan. Goodbye, Lloyd. No, wait a minute. Please, I don't know quite how. Suddenly they were not alone. A young couple had joined them. The color of their skin had changed from pale green to a warm, burnt orange, and their clothing was different, but Durham recognized them without difficulty. A hard object prodded him in the side, and the young man, smiling, said to him, Get into that cab. The young woman, also smiling, said to Susan Hawtree, Don't scream. Keep perfectly quiet. Susan's face went white. She looked at Durham, and Durham said to the young man, Let her go. She has nothing to do with this. Get in the cab, said the young man. Both of you. I think, said Susan, we'd better do it. They got in. The doors closed automatically behind them. The young man, with his free hand, took out a ticket and laid it in the scanner slot with the code number of the ship's docking area uppermost. The taxi clicked, hummed, and took off smoothly. Durham saw the ticket as the young man removed it from the scanner. It was a passage to Nantadik aboard the freighter Margareta Kay. End of section three.